Hi, I'm Shama. Hi, I'm Amrita. And we're back with The, the Voice It Out podcast. podcast. Season one was all about what makes us the same and also what makes us different. Now we're including more voices to gain new perspectives and opening up the conversation. So join us and don't keep it in. Voice, Voice it, it out. out. Shama, how's it going? It's all right. It's going pretty well. You know, I'm uh, all in pink. I'm pinked out and uh, I'm loving your love, love jumper. I have to admit. It's a love, love jumper. Love, love. Um, Love, love. Love, love. He only says it once. Yes, but I love the love. Oh, I get it. Um, (laughs) Another wicked guest today. Oh my God, I haven't heard the the word wicked like that in so long. (laughs) Can you tell she's from Croydon? Mate, you can take you can take the girl out of Croydon, you can't take the Croydon out of the girl. I'm telling you that now. Um, but we have Indy Sira, such a fabulous name. Such a fabulous name. Um, she's the founder of Voices of Colour. Um, it's a design agency that creates um, development workshops for young women of colour from marginalised communities, um, including mentoring workshops, um, mentoring programmes that enable them to make meaningful changes for themselves and for the community. And I know that sounds like it's it's a lot. It is a lot. And it's amazing. It's incredible. Indy, welcome to our podcast. Thank Ew. you so much for coming. Hi, Hi, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. No problem. We are so, we, honestly, when I was reading your profile, I was like, how much has this girl done? Now, like, I know that Voices of Colour, you started Voices of Colour in 2020, right? Yeah. Um, and it was basically, you started it from all of your experiences in, with charity work, with being, as correct me if I'm wrong, a part of the Housing Association? So um, I was part of a program right. uh, called Year Here, which is a social innovation program. So part of that role actually involved working with um, a housing association and then also on the front line. So working with social enterprises as part of that. And whilst working on there, the, you know, Voice of Colour came about um, and I've never really looked back, even though it's been, what, nearly four years this year. Oh my God. So, wow. wow. Yeah, I can't even believe it. Can you believe it? It's incredible. It's mad. But it's, yeah. But I was going to ask, 2020? Yeah. Yeah, during the pandemic. And you actually started it during the pandemic. So, was it a concept you were working on and then it just began in that year? Um, So, it's something I wanted to do for a very long time. But I think the platform that I joined just gave me the confidence Mm. to be like, you know what? Just try it. You never know. And I was, what, pretty young. And, you know, I thought, you know, now or never. Absolutely. So I've, you know, did it then. And I've, you know, like I said, never really looked back. It's something that I don't regret. And I'm just, yeah, just really excited to be able to have the opportunity to do at least some of it every day. Well, I love it because it's literally... I mean, it's a niche, isn't it? You're working towards trying to create a platform or a number of platforms for, you know, especially young women who wouldn't normally have opportunities like this available to them. Wouldn't even know where to start because, I mean, you know, we were talking just before we started recording, like, you know, like when I was younger, I've come from an art background. I've come from a creative background. And a lot of what I heard was, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with an art degree? What are you going to do in the creatives? And having something like this, if something like this was available to me, I'd be like, oh my God, yeah, I can come and just run with it. It's absolutely incredible. I mean, like, because you, you come from Southall as well, don't you? So is that where you you started there, didn't you? Um, yeah. Mm. So I born and bred in Southall. Um, and I think a lot of what I do now is because of living in Southall. So growing up, my parents had like a small little grocery store on the corner of the Broadway. And I think what I loved was when there was like the Nugget Geethans and Vasaki and all of the other traditions and um festivities that we celebrated it was when the community all came together from different backgrounds 
and it was just celebrating that and for me that community element stayed with me and I think it is what really made me want to do the work that I do today and that's why yes we create those platforms but we also now work with a lot of communities that are marginalized um, when it comes to community research and really giving them a platform to talk about their lived experience without you know being made to feel tokenistic mm. in a sense that's that's, that is actually amazing. pretty yeah. amazing but I was going to ask you aside from you know all the things that you get in Southall and the community get togethers and stuff like that what made you as a person have that strong sense of community which led to this work yeah I think so I was really close growing up I was really close to my auntie and she just loved supporting and helping the community and I was this small little girl and I used to follow everywhere and she used to take me with her uh, whilst she's doing all this work. And I think just growing up, looking at her do that uh. really inspired me. And I was like, I, I want to do that. And I want to do that one day. But I think growing up, it was like, but how do I make this real? How do I make this, you know, how do we get funding for this? How do we, you know, make sure that people really understand that it's not just a one-off thing, but something that we're talking about, people's lives um, and the community that we're working with are real people behind mm-hmm. it and the young women that we're working with real stories behind it so yeah that's what really inspired me was you know. because it's it's I mean what's amazing is like you know we normally talk about community and you know there's an aspect of especially with the Asian community there is an aspect of that being holding you back as well from you know being Asians and all the things that we especially as women all the things that we're told and what you can do what you can't do like a lot of it is oh yeah your whole life is just about getting married and (laughs) what's great is the fact that here you are a little girl who hasn't had any of that who has her own role model since she was little who is going out and doing all these things and now you are that person for all these other women that have that you're leading and I mean I think I mean I think it's absolutely absolutely great um but how did you know that okay you you knew from a young age that you wanted to do something with your community Mm. but what was that click of oh I want to do I want to be a leader for young women who don't have accessibility to these things where what what was that journey like um I think for me growing up um, you know, yes, you know, I also had privileges and all that sort, and I really understand that. But I felt really lost at times. Mm. Um, I wanted to do this, but I was scared it might be seen as something that's not respected or is just not going to be accepted. So I think I had my own journey of, in a sense, trying to find what I wanted to do and being too scared about what other people would think in that sense. And so... It was just understanding that I got to a point in my life where I was like, I'm just going to do what makes me happy. And it doesn't matter where that leads me. Um, As long as I wake up and I'm excited to do what I do, that's the most important thing to me. But that is hard also to do financially and lots of other things that come with it. So um, I completely understand that it's really easy said than done. But obviously it doesn't come easy as well trying to make that happen so I think especially growing up I think I started to realize pretty early on Mm. and whilst I was studying I was like you know this and there was just something and I don't know I couldn't describe it because as a young person you're not going to be like whoa I want to do this I want to change this but I think finding the words to describe it came later in my life um and I think I'm slowly getting there so which is nice that's really interesting that you picked on that point of um worrying about what people would think because we've spoken about this in previous episodes Mm. because for south asian women that is a cultural thing that we always just worry about what are they what society going Mm -hmm. to say you know and it's weird because even though a lot of our religious beliefs and our cultural beliefs stem from helping others and doing seva mm. and all this kind of stuff that you were still scared of essentially helping someone which is seva right helping them serving them what made you so scared about that i think it's it's like the embedded fear as you grow up um 
it's just, you know, the work, I don't think is really taken seriously sometimes. Um, and so, you know, I've gone into the charity sector and it's just something that I enjoy doing, working with others and supporting others, but it's just the perceptions around it. And, you know, the typical things of you should become an engineer or a doctor or whatever, but, you know, you don't fit into the normalized box in a sense. And so at the back of my mind that that's there sometimes is what are other people going to say? And, you know, when I think about it, my parents have never told me what to do, by the way, especially my dad. He is always, I was like, I want to do politics at, you know, as a father said, like, sure. He never told me, no, you can't do that. But I think it's the extended, you know, you know, extended kind of pressures you get from from that sometimes. And sometimes that you put on yourself mm. as a means of not wanting to disappoint yeah. in that sense. And that thing of like so not wanting to fail yeah. as well. Like you, yeah. like, you know, from you talking already, there's passion there. There's something that you always wanted to do, but not knowing how to go about it, it's that fear of not knowing. And we instantly think, oh, we're going to fail. Mm. And that's going to have a direct correlation to our parents, what people think about, especially when you've got that community and like people see you in a certain way of, oh, you know, I'm sure a lot of, as you were growing up, because you were so, you know, you were so integrated in your community. I'm sure your parents got a lot of, oh my God, Indy's such a good girl and she does so much. And she, you know, you know that you've got that reputation. Mm. And then it's that fear of failure. Even though you, you really, you know, it's realistic to know yeah. that you will you're gonna face failure but it's okay it's how you it's how you get up and how you you know like move on from that um and I'm guessing you this that you know in that sense having that person having that experience mm-hmm. is probably the same experience with some of the people that are part of your programs yeah. like what how how do you handle in, like those situations because you know I'm sure you do have women who are like oh you know hmm. I don't know if I want to do this but my parents are telling me to do something else so I'm just seeing dipping my toes in like how how does that conversation go hmm. <laughs> it's um I think it has to be a case by case because hmm. you have to be very careful because there's implications in terms of the advice you give and then it having a negative impact basically yeah. on them if they go and, and do it so I think you have to manage it very carefully but I think giving them a like very safe space to be able to talk it through is really important and I think in a sense normalizing that it's okay that you know I went through certain things and loads of others go through it you're not alone in that sense and it's not easy and I think I really feel for them sometimes because there's no one else to speak to about it Um, but I think bringing them together is the whole point that they're not alone, that there's others going through similar situations and there's others who've overcome them. So you just learn from one another, you talk through it. Um, and I think that's the most important thing that we try to do is through the community work. And so, you know, we started off working with these young women. Now we work with women over the age of 30 up until the age of you know, 70. Oh, and wow. Some of the community research work that we've done, we've had predominantly women between the ages of 50 to 80 come to our John chat sessions across Southall and Eating. And it's, it's, it's similar, but obviously with different issues yeah. that they're facing. And I just sometimes think it still hasn't changed. It's, yes, they're two very different generations, but it's similar in, in some of the things that they're facing and, you know, that is, yeah, that yeah. is actually quite shocking in a way that, you know, women of all ages seem to be facing the same thing. I would have thought that, yeah, I would have thought the generation's kind of community issues would have been different. That's really interesting. Mm. I think the issues are different. Okay. But the perceptions are the uh-huh. same. Yeah. And okay. I think that's okay. the thing. Um, who, how those perceptions and who they're held by is another thing mm. within the generation when it comes to those different generations but I think the perceptions and the judgment and um the lack of safe spaces is consistent Mm. for both um groups and that's what we've seen you know whilst we've been doing our work with them so yeah 
Well, you know, like you're talking about safe spaces as well. The dis, you know, like the disparities between the two as um, generations as well is probably even the fact that with the older women, I can imagine they now might feel a little bit more comfortable about talking about certain experiences that back in the day when, you know, they were in their prime, they wouldn't normally talk about and they wouldn't Mm -hmm. normally, which is exactly what you're trying to do here. Um, And it's, it's, yeah, like, I think, God, I, 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 I just, I can imagine what it must be like for, you know, like people our age to go into one of these spaces and be like, oh, hold on, I'm not the only one. Yeah. You know, so it's, and is this also what you do with your workshops as well? Yeah, completely. Um, but obviously the topics we have is a little bit different. Okay. Um, so a lot of the work that we've been doing with the the old older generation and the women is around peer research. So we're training them to become peer researchers, go into their own community, who they know best, to then tell us, bring the insights and share the insights in a group. So one of the key things, for example, we've been looking at is mental health. And a lot of the women can't speak about it openly. But in our groups, some of their friends have come with them and they've you know, been able to speak about some of their struggles and how they were scared that what people might think and community might think. Even when it's, for example, with the cost of living crisis right now, you're not being able to, you know, you know, turn, you know, use your electricity or being scared about certain things and being judged by the community. It's a real thing. And, um, you know, they've slowly been able to talk about it in a safe space where they don't feel judged but to then think about how it's really impacting them and how they can't really still have the confidence to go out and ask for mm. help. And I think it's similar in that space with the young women as well. It's those spaces, um, and mental health is one of the one of the topics, but there's various other things that come up when it comes to discrimination, when it comes to just not being able to navigate or see themselves represented within certain spaces such as school. Um, and even thinking about their future when it comes to their career, you know, not feeling like they would fit into that certain role. So I think similarities are there, but yeah, obviously where they're at within their life is different. I mean, there's so much. It's a lot. It's so funny because I was, I was actually going to ask that question that is there, has there been like an incident, not that you could share individual kind of, cases but just has there been a has there been that something that you've noticed that people do find it difficult talking about whatever subject it is and then they come to this group and they just feel seen and heard and you've said that that is mental health primarily right Mm. but mental health is such a broad it's such a broad spectrum of issues like it could be absolutely anything under that umbrella right so have you seen any particular trends within mental health um so Uh, you know, the key things that we've come across within that kind of aspect is one is the accessibility of health spaces. So they, I think there's a lot around, you know, English is not our first language for many. Everything's going digital, but there's a lot of digital exclusion happening. Um, A lot of them can't, a lot of them, and in the community, there's still a perception around not taking part in screening for example and you know you get those letters obviously those letters are in English but then there's also a perception of no I wouldn't do that um but it you know it concerns their health so um yeah so it's it's a lot because you're in a in a space where you're trying to create to really understand what the issues are and then therefore what needs to change and that we then bring key people in like like NHS like local authority and say look these are the issues and you're you're not listening mm. and you need to design them with them, not just, you know, on on your own, thinking you know what's best for them. Yeah. They are the ones that know exactly what they need. They should be included and also they should be paid for their time, for their experiences and what they bring. So I think that's what we're trying to push with us being there. Um, they are the ones who know, you know, what they need in that sense. So... Um, yeah, I think there has been a lot that's come up when it comes around screening, when it comes around feeling discriminated against when using those services. Um, 
and just just feeling like there is no one that they can speak speak to that will really understand them. Mm. Therefore, they don't go and use their services. They don't go and ask for help because, mm. and then that's huge. But I think it's also, I mean, it's because we've spoken about this as well in like other episodes where it's also like adults from our, like our parents' generation, stuff mm. like that, have this way of thinking, even though, let's say, take the health, for instance, they're absolutely fine with being like, nope, I'm fine. I can deal with it. It's okay. And it's that thing of, I don't need any help. Mm. I'm fine by myself. Yeah. And do you ever come across those types of, of conversations, especially with the older generation where they're like, no, 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 I'm fine. Even though there's evidently like, they're like, oh, I've just got this, this and this, but I'm I'm fine. I'm taking the tablets I need. I'm, like, so what's the conversation around if there is a, any kind of sort of yeah. drawback, I guess, from that? Yeah. And how so is that handled? Like, I think one of the biggest difficulties is there's not actually like a word to describe mental health in many of the yeah. languages. Yeah. Because yeah. if you say something it's seen as a negative connotation around mental health yeah so that's the biggest thing and i so i try to translate and or i'll get some so i speak Punjabi, mm-hmm. so i have no problem in translating but then if we need um an older translator also you know we'll, we'll bring whoever in but there's not much to describe that without it sounding negative mm. so we've had to do quite a lot of work around that um for them to really understand that it's okay um, that it's okay if you're not fine it's okay if yeah. you have struggles everyone does you don't yeah you you can talk about it so I think that's a you know that's come up yes I think actually surprisingly many of them are really open about talking about it and I think once they you know for someone women once they've got older um, for them they've started to realize they didn't prioritize themselves but they couldn't within the culture they couldn't because they had so many other things and were told, you're, you know, this is your priority, not taking care of yourself. And I think many of them have come to the realization after all these years that, you know what, well, I want to do something for myself and I want to be able to take care of myself and understand myself. So it's just been nice. That is actually the reason <laughs> me and Shama are smiling at each other is because one of our very initial episodes in season one was about why do women feel guilty prioritizing themselves. Mm-hmm. So it's so interesting. And it's come full circle. It's, exactly. And plus, it, I think it's quite sad, really. Yeah. yeah. That it comes to a woman of that age for them to realize that, mm. hold on, all this Absolutely. time I've been putting everyone else before mm. myself. Yeah. Well, I said it in the episode, like, my mum, for instance, because she's they're, they're all a part of the same generation where they've just been told because that was that is what is told to us. Oh, you get married and all your life is set. Make sure your husband's all right. Make sure your in-laws are right. That's all we, we're getting told. That's what they were getting told because that's what they know. And like and I, I in that episode, I do talk about how like it took so much from my mum to just go to a yoga class because she's like, I don't have time for it. We're like, of course you do. You do have time for it. You can figure it out. Like, it's absolutely okay. Even if it is that one class that you do for yourself every week. And I mean, now she's been doing it for years. But I remember the initial kind of, because it was unknown. They don't know any different. And it's that realization of, oh, hold on. Yes, I can. Because nobody has told them that before. But it's not even, I don't even think it's that they need to be told I think it's just the way that that generation's mindset is. Mm. And also, it's not a concept that they're familiar with. (laughs) It's like my cousin said the other day, they've got a three-year-old. And he said to me, in our parents' generation, he goes, when would my dad have told my mum, you go shopping for a couple of hours, just get a bit of a break, have some me time. I say that to my wife pretty much every week, and she does it. So I think it's a difference between even like a husband saying to a Mm. wife, do it and her saying no 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 I don't have time when you have to make time as well but also you know like he's quite happy to look after their child like there's no issue about it and I think in a certain generation my parents generation for example that is completely unheard of that the father would look after the children you know like it's just one of those things but it's almost as though because I know for I know so I know some like my cousins for instance where the girls have kind of gone and done their own thing Mm. and all the adults are like what happened? To, what about the baby? <laughs> what about the baby? And it's yeah. like, um, the baby has a father? Yeah. Like, it's and so And they're weird. so kind of like, 
do they know how to look up? Do they know how to, do they know how to, I was like, do, I was like, are you saying that half of that child's parent is incompetent of being their parent? So definitely, it's not normalised. No, No, it's not, absolutely not. And it's in the language, it's in the body language. Yeah. It's in everything. So what do you do you just give in and it's it's like survival really yeah yeah is what i've also seen growing up yeah absolutely because this is it without without the i'm and i'm going to say it without your programs that you the, and the, and the set the your your um the programs that you set up the meetings that you set up your like what is it giant giant chat i love that yeah. giant yeah, chat i love that like name. without those without those avenues a lot of these women would just probably just be sitting in silence constantly and not actually realize oh hold on I've got somebody else who actually thinks the same way as I do or has gone through something similar Mm. it's okay for me to feel like this and be like this and you know it's sort of like how also how have you seen women who have come at from at the beginning from when they first started to like having come however long they come like yeah what what are the changes that you've seen that are the most surprising or yeah. Something that just keeps you going. Yeah. So I think the biggest indicator is they don't want to stop talking. And I think that's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is a really big that, positive. I think that's yeah. great. Yeah. I was like, keep on, you know, that's why I always add extra time. And I just don't tell them. Um, I was like, just keep talking, it's fine. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing is like, they have the confidence now to be able to talk about it, to be able to talk about it with, even within their group is a huge thing rather than keeping it to themselves. Um, they've made different lifestyle choices like consciously so I'll go for a walk or I'll do something for myself okay or um, actually you know what I'll try something new that I wouldn't have otherwise so all of those things which is amazing to see and I think the most important thing is it makes them think differently Mm. and and also hopefully makes it seem okay that they can go and ask for some for support but I think our, our whole work is to also realize that some of the mental health support out there currently is just not tailored um to women from you know ethnic backgrounds at all yeah Yeah. so and it's really needed yeah i think it's really needed like now more than ever so how do you tackle that though if it's not tailored to that specific yeah ethnic group that's like the boundaries that you face as an organization or maybe um as someone who's trying to be the vessel in a way Mm. How do you overcome if you find a real genuine issue that isn't being addressed and cannot be addressed in a way by any authority or, or whatever it is? Yeah, so I think the whole point for us is to then bring the right people within the space to make sure that there's something being done about it. So the first space is to be able to really listen and give them the space to share. Then the second aspect is really bring in the people that can actually make the change. So, you know, change the local policy, change the way that things are designed, and so we've been doing a bit of this work within Southall um, as part of um, some funding we got. Um, it's called the Living Roots Project. And so as part of that, we had um, Eating Council as well as um, NHS um, and also grassroots communities come together and work together on it. So, um, but it's hard work. That doesn't mean change will not happen just like that. I've realized that and it's, you know, we also have to take the role of like community organizing, mm. like having yeah. to demand that change yeah. and to listen. So it's not easy because also you give that sense of hope and you have to be so careful as to how you manage that because a lot of them have come up with their stories and then told me, you know, after, before I even leave, can I have a chat with you? And it's heartbreaking to hear some of the stuff that they're going through. And honestly, it just, it, yeah how how do you how do you personally manage that because it must be quite overwhelming to like yeah. listen to all these stories and not not taking all of that personally and not yeah. be like oh my like not put yourself in that kind of because I was going to ask that actually because you know there is obviously you can get trauma from listening to someone mm. who's been through trauma so I, yeah it was exactly the same yeah. question that I was going to ask actually how do you do with that personally yeah, no, it, it is difficult because you go away thinking, oh my gosh, they've got this hope and this res- and I've got this responsibility. But I think it's really important. I try to make some time to really just write everything down. I have to. 
that's how I get things out of my head and onto paper and really understand what to do next. Um, and I just think the whole point is I said to myself, I'll always be honest. So if I if it's slow, it's slow, and I need to be able to communicate that with the community. Um, so it's just how do you create a space of honesty and accountability as part of that work that helps me also make sure that we're on track to do what we said we would do as an organisation, but just as a community as well. And especially working in Southall is so close to home. So it, it it's just, it adds that extra. Adds that extra. You've got yeah. that support as well that you're not dealing with it by yourself as well because I think that helps. Because if, if you had to take that on by yourself... There was probably a bit where you had God, to, though, yeah. isn't it? Maybe when there you were is, first there starting. is. Um, yeah. There is, but I think um, I've slowly learned how to deal with it. But um, it'll always be hard, yeah. I feel, because they're real lives at the mm. end of the day. And they just, they deserve so much more. Like, honestly, I just, there's just so many things when you're living in a failed system sometimes. And I think we just need to go back to basics. It's all about community for mm. me at the end of the day. And it always has been. And I think once that's forgotten, then you see the impact that that has in addressing like massive issues. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah. so how do you do like so you said you write things down mm-hmm. um what are the other things you do in order to keep your mental health intact because you are working day in day out with this kind of you know heartbreaking stories people who genuinely need help mm-hmm. how do you deal with your how like what do you do to keep your own mental health intact yeah no I the one thing that I'm really grateful for is I I've got a massive extended family so and we all live they all live on one, one space, oh, so wow. in one house. So there's a good fifteen or so of them. Wow. So I never feel too lonely in that sense. I can always just go and have a chat with anyone, and just speak through it, and have someone to you know to listen to me. And my sisters will go crazy, but they just sit down and listen <laughs> to me, and they'll just be like, "Yeah, it's one of those." Um, but also I just try to make some time to go out for a walk and just clear my mind because I just need it. Um, and that's why I've just started hiking a lot, like going for really oh. long walks. And it's changed. It's just changed everything. That's amazing. It's those little things, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I'm just trying to think. You started this in 2020 when COVID first yeah. was literally first there. How did you do? How did you manage yeah. to do it? Like It was hard. And everything was done online. Yeah. Everything. But what I was amazed by was, like, the young people. They were coming to the workshops online. They were actually talking. They were actually engaging. And I spoke to so many young people um, as part of that, that it just gave me, like, the hope to be able to continue this work. Um, And then, yeah. And then it just went from there. And I just had to keep going um, and growing it, but it was hard. I can imagine. Well, if if I mean, if if people are coming, and especially at that time, yeah. it might even even though it was hard, it seems like it was probably that. This might sound really weird, but the best time for something like this to yeah. come about because everything was going online. Mm. You had to have a balance. Yeah. I think a lot of people are also really tired of seeing the screen every day, so yeah. managing that was really had to be something, but also. There's also a thing of not everyone has internet connection mm. as well. So the work you're doing is great, but you're not really meeting or reaching everyone as much as you can. So I think that was there. Um, but other than that, it was really, there was just so much excitement and I got excited and I was like, oh God, I'm going to do I mean, I mean, to start something like this is, yeah, it's a pretty big deal. It's a pretty big deal. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I do want to talk about like your like networking programs and mm-hmm. how, that works and how how you get people because like let's be honest network we talk about networking and how daunting it can be (laughs) so what 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 do your networking um programs entail so they're mostly community development um so it's around community development and mentoring predominantly but then I guess that experience of that networking comes when you're talking to your mentors and getting to know um women Mm. working in different areas that you wouldn't have spoken to before um so I think that element comes there I think I think with it the it's pretty daunting actually and so that's why we have to manage that really carefully 
but I mean the women we've worked with as mentors have been amazing like literally and I think what inspired me was the amount of women that signed up and wanted to be part of it that was just amazing to see and the support they were willing to give like even like a few hours in the day um in 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 a month um and I just was like wow and I think it's really helped me realize that there is a need for that because many of the women that become mentors didn't really have this Mm. and so it's like them in a sense giving back to something that they wish they could have had when they were growing up oh absolutely so are these mentors who are in certain uh jobs or certain careers that are uh giving advice Mm -hmm. to these young women who are like this is what you can do this is how I did it that's incredible really cool and we do it on a case-by-case basis where they tell us we really want to do this we want to become this I was like okay let me go and let's go see what we what mentors we have and some of the some of the young women have come to us said we realized we I don't really want to do that but it helped me yeah it does help you to redirect yourself I thought I wanted to do this but no I don't really want to do that and I was like that's a good thing yeah Yeah. you could have end up doing something and then having to be there yeah yeah it's so true it is really true so i was going to ask is in this journey since your 2020 start Hmm. is there anything you've learned personally there's probably a lot of stuff you've learned personally is there any one big thing that has impacted you and that you've learned in that work um honestly i have just i think it's just meeting all all these women it's just every time I go, I think it makes me realize why I do what I do. And there are real lives out there and real stories and real, like, you know, issues that they're going through. For me, I know I just find it a privilege. I just stand there sometimes and just think, wow, I get to do this. It's, and for, and like I said, I really wanted to wake up and just feel excited about what I did. And I honestly will never take it for granted, ever. Um, and it's not easy um, doing this, um, having to manage everything financially and finding funding and finding things and keeping it afloat, but it's worth it in the end. Like, honestly, worth it. We're just listening to you and the way that you talk about this and everything that you're doing. I like I kind of feel like you feel like you've actually found your purpose and yeah. you found mm. something that you're like this is your driving force and that's so inspirational it's so like and also not everyone gets to find that no absolutely so, not and it's yeah, like yeah, the yeah. fact that you're not taking it for granted and it's exactly what you said it's your seva and your service to yeah. something that was your foundation mm. you know and like because I did want to ask you like when you first started when you first started telling people that oh this is what I want to do this is how I want to do it what was the reaction and the feedback and how was how did you how did you overcome that if you had to overcome anything yeah I think it varied depending on who who I was speaking to yeah so obviously it took a bit of explaining to my parents but I think they was like Indy's always doing this (laughs) if even if if you got my mom here and asked her what do I do she wouldn't know (laughs) um because I'm always doing some stuff and um, <laughs> I love that I love yeah, it even today she, she I don't think she'd be able to answer bless her but you like, should take her to one of your workshops the chai and chat yeah I've taken a few times oh and she still doesn't <laughs> she gets involved she, and and some of the session I forgot some of the sessions we do we also do it in conjunction with like for example um some exercise classes that are going oh, on nice. so I've taken my grandma as well and she's taking <gasps> How part cool. and then she'll it's so yeah so and nice. then they'll meet they'll meet like, their old friends that haven't seen in <laughs> ages and I'm just like a reunion <laughs> so it's really nice to have that um but yeah I think they've slowly understood and I think I was really grateful for the support I got as being part of those communities mm-hmm. to be able to talk about it um and I think eventually overcoming that but I still think it's I don't think I've still got it perfect. Well, I think it's also, I mean, I, I think it's something that's always going to be a work in mm. progress. And if you got it, let's be honest, if you got it perfect, then there wouldn't be anything to work for. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, you know, when you when you spoke about your dad not stopping you from doing anything, I just, I honestly think that's such an amazing way for parents to think, to be like, trust your kids in, let them make mistakes, let them go and yeah. do what they need to do to discover what they want to do. Um. 
because there there are probably like you know like you said there are people who have had that yeah so how can you relate basically how can you relate to that yeah I think it's definitely gave me confidence mm. to have that and I think it was really important I think it would have changed what I did actually yeah. in the end in terms of what I saw as acceptable and if those extra pressures are put on me I think I would have done something completely different really um, so it is so important yeah. and it's without realising every little thing that you say as a as a young woman growing up in a South Asian family, everything you say I will remember Yeah, and you can take that on forever in your life and that has a huge impact in terms of how you shape and make decisions going forward yeah. and maybe you don't realise it but it's been based on what you've heard what you expect rather than what you really want to do so it yeah I mean I think it would make a huge difference and it's like how you basically build your life really yeah what your parents what your parents say and how they you yeah know. all the influences you have yeah. isn't mm. it? Yeah. just from your parents mm. from any, anyone have you had any mothers and daughters that come oh mothers like like together I think we've had maybe one or two. Okay. Because they'll support them. They'll support them. Uh-huh. So they'll bring them to the sessions and then they might come and sit in for a bit. Um, but no, but that's a really, we, you know, we could do a you session. Could do, you could a do a mother's and daughter's session. session. Mothers and daughters. Yeah. Oh, look, that, would be, that would be really interesting to see. You heard it here. Yeah. <laughs> I gave you an idea. <laughs> do it. Honestly, do it. Because, because the thing is, I think, like, you know, you're just saying that you took your mom and your grand- grandma as well and mm. it's like, even doing something like that, opening up that conversation of something to mm. be in the house and, you know, because talking about like mental health, like you said, it is, it's a taboo in an Asian, it's still in is, a, yeah, it still, still is. A stigma. You know, I know quite a few people who go to therapy, but they haven't told their parents about it because they're like, I can't tell my mom and dad that I'm going to therapy. I think there is still a lack of understanding yeah. there is those completely. kind of things in the Asian community. Mm. I feel like it is genuinely people just don't under, or that certain generations just don't understand. Yeah mental health yeah, they've got no. No, they just don't they have just... awareness and no matter how much you explain it because mm. their mindset is obviously different mm. from when they've grown up yeah i don't think they'll most people are not going to get to a level where they actually understand that well i think in our generation mm. i think there's a lot of and i think especially for for asian women i talk a lot about unlearning and unlearning the things that i thought yeah. hold on i can't do and i can't when really i can i mean like you know i say i'm an adult now i can do whatever i want so <laughs> really <laughs> yeah but really? in terms but you're not of, made to feel like one like but this is exactly it's always because it's sort of like oh hold on why did I think why do I think a certain way why yeah, do I so why, why am I not com- why am I confident yeah. in this aspect but I'm not confident in that that aspect yeah and it's be- simply because of what I was told and the mm. way that you know what my mum was confident in and what my dad was confident in and like I remember I used to be scared of dogs and I have no, I, I used to, I just still scared of didn't dogs. know where that came from. Yeah. And I realized, and it wasn't until I had a, I had a friend, one of my really good friends who loved dogs. And she's like, you have an, an, an like, she goes, it's irrational. Just, just, she goes, I'm going to let you make you like, she goes, I will introduce you to a few dogs. And some of her friends had a few dogs once she came to my uncle's shop and a guy with a dog came in and she's like, okay, just like, and she told me, she's like, just do this, <laughs> just do that. And now. I'm fine with dogs, but I realised the reason why I was scared of dogs is because my mum was scared of dogs. No. And nothing, you know, like it was, I know it's it's a really small aspect, but it's kind of that whole thing of like, what have I taught and what do I, yeah, you know, what do it, I need yeah. to unlearn? What is my own thing? And what is something that my mum's told me or my dad's yeah. told yeah. me? Yeah. But my, yeah, my irrational fear of dogs is not because of my mum. It was because my dad's friend, family friend, they had a dog really tiny I don't even know what what dog it was it was very very small <laughs> and when I was younger I used to play with it hmm. and then one random day we were at their house this dog was absolutely hyper hmm. and ended up coming up to me and kissing me but it hurt so much uh, yeah I think it I developed a fear of dogs yeah. generally but that was an experience that you had. Yeah, it was with my, a it's dog. my experience. It's, it's not your like experience. Parents or something. Yeah, mine was yeah, my it was literally. My yeah. I was told, yeah, he he kissed you, and I was just like, no, I didn't feel like a kiss. Yeah, but this <laughs> is exactly it. It was just it yeah. was so bizarre. Whereas my dad loves dogs. He absolutely loves them. But because my mom was scared of them, and my grandparents were like, 
we're not having pets in the house. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, no pets mm-hmm. in the house. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you can even do it do it uh bring yeah. your pets. Oh my god, there's so many ideas. There's loads. loads. You could do so but much. I'm sure you could brainstorm with just Shama. <laughs> yeah. I don't mind <laughs> brainstorming. Much. I don't know what I'd do. That, that daughter and mother idea is great though. Do it, take it, it's yours. Thank you. It's absolutely yours. <laughs> So but so you're in Southall Sorry. and you're in Ealing and you're going to be in Greenwich as well, or you're in Greenwich. So we were just doing some other community research work in Greenwich. We literally just brought together so many different organisations, grassroots communities together to talk about things that need to change when it comes to community spaces, um, leisure centres, um, parks, uh, health services, lots of stuff. Lots of so um, what kind of changes do you mean? So, okay, so not every community centre is accessible. Yeah. Not every community is going to feel like I can go in there and use the services or I should go in there and use the services. We need to understand why is there a lack of use of community services, uh, community spaces. Um, a lot of people think community centres are used for a certain thing and I'm not, we're not meant to go in them, but they're for the community. So yeah. why are those spaces not being used and mm. therefore then not being being closed down in a sense and then it's really important for our community especially during like struggles like the cost of living crisis um there's parks and spaces that are not being used or not completely always safe um so it's all of that and that impacts how you live like when you wake up and when you want to go somewhere but you can't because you feel like i don't i can't use that space um or just that things need to improve when it comes to services especially when you're talking to people from different cultural backgrounds there is a lack of understanding of their needs and it's like so evident in the services so what of that so i was going to ask you this might be unrelated to that work but um it just came into my head that you know we've had quite a few we had a podcast on this about um news stories in the media to do with female violence such as Sarah Everard mm-hmm. Ani Divani yeah. like I know that was in South Africa but you know like the really high profile cases mm-hmm. has any of that kind of stuff come up in terms of Sarah Everard the only reason I say that is because you mentioned parks and obviously mm. she was out walking yeah. um, home has there any, has anything like that come about where communities that maybe don't feel safe in those spaces and that's why they're not used I think especially after a certain amount of time yeah, like, you're not going to walk on your own, especially, no. you know, um, as a woman, I think there's so much around just not being safe, but then they're not being enough streetlights, they're not yeah. being enough support. Exactly. Um, so there's all these things that actually make a huge, huge difference um, that then we, you know, work with others to hopefully be able to change. Um, so, and that's why we work quite a lot with local authority, so council and stuff like that. Well, I think it's also the whole like I'm get like thinking about building the communities together and bringing people together, mm. like because you know Sarah Everard was she wasn't very far from her house, was she? I think she was, but she was walking through the park, isn't it? I don't think it was well it lit well then. Lit. I think yeah. they but this is exactly the it. After. It's like it's like if you even if even if you are like where you live or in another in another kind of like area. Mm. Where you've got a a much better community service where people do come together, yeah, it's probably more likely for that to be a much more safer space yeah. than yeah, not, yeah. you know, because then people are a lot more alert of just generally like what's yeah. happening and what's going on and stuff like that. So, should we do this or that? Yeah. Okay. So our next segment is going to be our this or that. Planning it or winging it? Planning it. <laughs> always. I okay. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> always, always. Street food or fine dining? Street food. Love Every it. day. Well, the fact that Southall. Yeah. I was just, I was just, I was just uh, yeah, I was just, yeah, just no. thinking yeah. street food yeah. and I, I associate it in my yeah. head with Southall. So, yeah, I get that. Um, inspiring change or being the change? Inspiring change. Because others are amazing. So, uh, yeah. It's just. <laughs> 
I think you're being the, the change as well, though. That's what I, I was just <laughs> thinking that, but the then change. <laughs> but it's that thing, isn't it? We're never going to, it's that kind of. It goes hand in hand. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Sunrise or sunset? Oh, sunset. I, I wouldn't be awake for sunrise. <laughs> Same. Team Night Same. Owl. Same. <laughs> yeah, like completely. I love that. That's brilliant. Okay, so my last one is fortune or fame? Fortune. Good choice. Yeah. <laughs> okay, this is in networking. Mm-hmm. Networking on through social media or networking in person? No, through social media. <laughs> through social media? Yeah. Oh, okay, I like that. I like that. I mean, it is a great place to... It is definitely a great place to network. Otherwise, yeah, I would have never is. found you. I mean, yeah. I think I've done a lot in person. But I think I've been able to reach quite, you know, talk to quite a lot of communities and organisations just through that platform, which has been amazing. So, yeah, that's amazing. I think that's what social media does, doesn't it? It oh, brings absolutely. it brings yeah. people to people which you never would have mm-hmm. otherwise yeah, exactly. met or even known of in real life. I mean, we do talk quite a bit about the pluses and the minuses of social media mm. and bringing people together it's another like the social media network is another yeah. kind of you know but you still got to be really careful I guess but I mean it's great is there anything that you you want to talk about you haven't been able to talk about no I just thank you so much what no you're doing problem. is amazing <laughs> oh obviously. thank you, thank you. Um, and I know it's not easy um but the fact that you've grown it and thank you so much for just even reaching out to me because oh, no, not at all that's with Shaman. not at all I just think what you're doing is amazing and you definitely need to speak more about it where if people want to get involved if people where can people find you where can people yeah. contact you I mean our website is all there um, and if you go into our social media page on Instagram our link our link tree has got everything that you need to know what is your social media handle so it's uh, Voice of Colour UK because um, the other one was taken <laughs> <laughs> damn it no, so no. voices of color UK. uk voices of color UK. amazing go yes. and give it a follow it and is. get involved it's all very very graphical very it's it's fun it's a very very fun profile i have to say but yeah definitely get involved definitely contact the team and you know just be the change. Be the change. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, we have to thank DJ Shy Guy for doing a lovely jingle for us. Thank you very much. Yes. And you can find us on all socials, on at Voice Out Podcast, on TikTok, on Instagram. You can email us at voiceoutpodcast at gmail.com. And give us a five-star rating on whatever platform you're listening to us we're on youtube watching. we're on youtube we're on watching YouTube. i always listening. forget youtube <laughs> yes <laughs> because it's only come about in the second season I know, and but we're we... only about 10 episodes in only. and i always forget <laughs> <laughs> but yes please five star rating five star rating only okay yep and yep. yeah so we are on youtube if you just search our whole podcast name or it's voice it out podcast with s and a if yep. if 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 you if you can't remember what our names are, I can't remember what names are. <laughs> shaman and rita um, but anyway, thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Indy, for being here. Thank you so yeah, much. Thank you so much. And we don't want to keep it in. We, we want, want to voice it out. out. Bye. Bye.